happen to be in the Sermon on the Mount section. And we are in a section where Jesus is delivering six antitheses. And an antithesis is the opposite of a thesis. And each one of these antitheses or these statements open up with words something like, you've heard it said of old, and then he would give the thesis, thou shalt not kill, for example. And then he comes back and he gives the antithesis, the antithesis, and says, but I say unto you. And so we've gone through three of them, and we're going to look at the fourth, fifth, and sixth today. We'll look at the last ones. And in his antithesis, or his response, he gives a fuller and a deeper meaning to the law. He, in a sense, fills it up to its full measure. And what he's doing is he's telling us how the law applies to us who are kingdom citizens, as opposed to how the law applied to Israel of old. Remember, when God brings Israel out of Egypt, he forms them into a nation. It's a political entity. And he says, here's how you live as a political entity. Here's how you get along with each other. Here are the rules. <clears throat> but by the time Jesus is on the scene, Israel's no longer a political entity. It's, uh, it's occupied territory. The Romans have control, are controlling the Jewish people. They don't control their own affairs anymore. And so now he's showing how the law applies to them in their day and to us as citizens of the kingdom of God. So you with me? So let's look at the fourth antithesis, and that's found in verse 33. So notice what he says. Again, you've heard it said, that would be in times past, you heard it said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform your oaths to the Lord. Now this is a direct quote from Levit the book of Leviticus, chapter 19 and verse 12. And this concept of not swearing falsely, but perform your oaths to the Lord, was probably an elaboration on the third commandment, not to take the Lord's name in vain. So you take an oath in God's name. You didn't keep your oath. You swore falsely. You took his name in vain. And so the Jews believed that an oath made in the name of the Lord was binding. So to get around that, instead of swearing in the name of the Lord, they would swear in the name of something else. Like on my mother's grave, you know? My dear and blessed mother's grave, you have my word on it. <clears throat> or uh, on a stack of Bibles. You know? Or cross my heart and hope to die. You know, one of those kinds of things. Uh, of course, you know that if you say that and you break your word, you can get away with it. So the Jews would always substitute something else for the name of the Lord, swearing to keep uh, their word, but then they would break it and they, it was, they weren't bound to it. Whereas if you actually, under the Old Testament law, in the nation of Israel, if you broke God's word, uh, like in a court system, that'd be perjury, wouldn't it? You take God's name in vain, that was a... That was a major crime. The courts would uh, punish you for that. So Jesus is going to uh, give the antithesis. And so here's what he says in verse 34. But I say to you, do not swear at all. In other words, uh, 
this is an, an absolute prohibition to swear no matter what. By anything. And so he goes on to say in verse 34, don't swear at all, neither by heaven, for it's God's throne, nor by earth, for it's his footstool, nor by Jerusalem, for it's the city of the great king, nor shall you swear by your head, because you cannot make one hair white or black, unless you use... <laughs> so these are the kinds of substitutes they use. The substitute I would use was cross my heart and hope to die, but... Theirs was, I swear by my head, I swear by Jerusalem, I swear by heaven, I swear by earth. And what Jesus is saying, hey, even those are the Lord's. You're indirectly swearing by the Lord because He's the God of heaven, He's the one who made earth, He's the one who makes your head, turns it white, gray, whatever color. And so indirectly, you're still swearing by the Lord. And even though you're using these, thinking you're getting out on the basis of a technicality, he says you're still swearing, so just the bottom line is just stop swearing, stop making oaths. So when you get down to it, the issue is not oaths. The issue is just keep your word. Let your word be your bond. You don't have to take an oath <laughs> to tell the truth. Your word should be your bond. To take an oath, in fact, if I have to say, and I swear on my mother's grave, the other person says, why do you have to swear on your mother's grave? Isn't your word good enough? The fact that I bring in another element actually casts doubt. And my word's really not good enough. And so Jesus said, well, you know what? Just don't swear at all. Now, you have to realize he's talking about the Christian community here. His followers. Amongst yourselves, there's no need to swear. Just give your word. Let your yes be yes. And you know, be no. Out there in the secular world, it's a different story. Sometimes they require you to make an oath, and he's not against that, necessarily. I see Jimmy and uh, whatever her name is. That lady I don't even know anymore. Oh. How you doing, Shipless? I'm here. Oh, good. I'm glad you're here. You're recognized. I want you to know. I'll give you a kiss after the class. <laughs> so, uh, Jesus is saying how to handle your affairs by... Uh, with, within the Christian community, but, you know, if the law makes you require, and, or you have to get, you know, a witness on something, that's understood. That's how the world works. In the world, in the old order of things, yeah, they might ask you for an oath, but, you know, among Christians it shouldn't be that way. Uh, your words should be enough. And so that's what Jesus is saying here. And that's why he says in verse 37, he basically says, uh, but let your yes be yes, and your no, no. For whatever is more than these is from the evil one. Uh, when you're working with Christians, your word should be your bond. If you have to start making oaths to other believers, Satan sort of weaseled his way in there. He's getting a stronghold. Just think about Ananias and Sapphire. They made a vow to sell their property and they held some back. He said, Satan. Satan. See, from the evil one. Satan has filled your heart to life with the Holy Spirit. So, that's the word. Uh, it's not necessary to make an oath amongst Christians. Your word should be your body. Does that make sense? <clears throat> okay, let's look at verse 38. The next antithesis. 
You've heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Now this is a law that's found in Exodus and also in, in Leviticus. And this was an effort to make sure that punishment fit the crime. Somebody struck your eye, you know, it's not literally an eye for an eye. You have to realize it's just a, a way of saying, hey, the punishment must fit the crime. An eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. There was a tendency of people wanting to get more out of somebody when something happened to them. We do that today, don't we? You want more, unless you get, a, you get something, say some of your property is, uh, is destroyed from maybe a hailstorm. Maybe, maybe it's your roof. Uh, you know, it, it may be just that it needs repair, but guess what you want? You don't want an eye for an eye. You want, an, you want more than that. And this is really an issue regarding justice. He says, don't attempt to exceed the law. Don't try to get more than you want. These are the limits. Make sure that, you know, if you've been hurt in some way, you get compensation. But it should be equal. It should be an eye for an eye. Not, not your life for somebody's life for an eye. Not $20 billion for an eye. You know, one of those types of things. Uh, so that was the way God was guaranteed that when Israel was a nation, that justice was done amongst the people. There was fairness there. Now, but look what Jesus says. Here's his antithesis. But I tell you, verse 39, do not resist evil. Do not resist an evil person. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If they want more, and they're out to always get more, don't even resist it. Now, you have to realize when they do that, they're evil. <clears throat> they're not dealing with fairness. They're not dealing with justice. They want more. And again, he's talking about within the community, within the nation of Israel, when it was operating as a nation, and now as Christians. Are there evil people in the church? Yes, there are. They infiltrate all the time. And he says, don't resist them. When they try to get that pound of flesh and a little bit more, don't resist them. And then look what he says at the end of verse 39. But whosoever slaps you on the right cheek, turn the other to him also. Uh, do more than justice demands. Uh, what would justice do? If he slaps you on the cheek, according to the eye for an eye, what would you do? Slap him right back. That's the eye for the eye. That's fair. Jesus says, no. If he slaps you on one cheek, turn the other cheek. And what does he say there? What cheek? On your right cheek. Now most people in Jesus' day were right-handed. Just like most people today are right-handed. For a right-handed person to slap you on your right cheek, guess what they have to do? Give you a back slap. And that represented an insult. That's how you insulted somebody. And uh, today we'd say it's like somebody spitting in your face. They spit in your face, spit back. That would be an eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth. But Jesus says, no, don't do that. Turn the other cheek and let them hit that cheek. Give them more than uh, what they're asking for. That's how Christians are to operate. Don't go tit for tat. Why not? Well, Jesus sets the example, doesn't he? They slap Jesus. They arrest Jesus. They want to crucify Jesus. He could have said, you know something? You're not going to do it. 
I can call 10,000 angels down here. I can wipe you guys out. But does he do it? No, he basically follows this principle. And so Jesus sets the, the tone. Don't trade insults with people who insult you. Allow them to insult you once. Allow them to insult you twice. Just turn a blank eye to that situation. So that's his illustration there. Now he gives a second illustration regarding this, how far we should go beyond justice. Look at verse 40. If anyone wants to sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak also. Now, again, this is probably within a Christian setting, at least in the Old Testament. Uh, if somebody loaned you money, they wanted collateral. Do they do that in the world still today? Do they ever want collateral or something? And what happens if you can't uh, pay the loan back? Well, they sue you, don't you, for the payment. And if you can't pay it, guess what they take? Your collateral, whatever you put up for collateral. Well, believe it or not, there were people who demanded a person's tunic as collateral. Now, that was their outer coat. We're dealing with peasants here. <laughs> We're not dealing with people who have 10,000 acres of land that they put up land for collateral. The only thing they owned was what was on their back. And so I needed enough to get through next week. And so I said, well, you have to put up your, your coat. So what's out of crazy? Put up your outer garment. Oh, no. The outer garment was also used as a bedroll and a blanket at night. So if you didn't, uh, you're take, literally taking the covers off of your body. And uh, Jesus said, if they sue you, basically, if they try to take this because for some reason you're a peasant, you haven't been able to, to pay back the loan, look what he says. He says, verse 40, give him your cloak also. <clears throat> give him what he wants and give him more. Now, under <clears throat> the law, under a lot of Old Testament law, you couldn't actually take a person's tunic because you're taking the clothes off their back. I mean, but Jesus is using this in a sense as a hyperbole. He said, somebody even tries to take the clothes off your back. You know what you need to do? Give him the coat on your back that you use as a bedroll and then give him your undergarments. Literally what you say, your underwear. People only had two kinds of clothes. Cloaks, which cloaked your body, your underwear, and your undergarments, and your coat, which, used, which you used during the day and night to cover up as a blanket or a bedroll. So guess what? If you give them your outer garment, you give them your Undergarment, what do you have left? You're stark naked. Or as they say in the stuff, naked. You know? <laughs> so, obviously Jesus isn't saying you should go around walking around naked. In, in the news. In the box. In your birthday suit. This is how we know he is using hyperbole. This is sort of a hypothetical. He's taking the most ridiculous thing and saying, look, whatever they want, if they want this... Don't just give them what the law requires. Give them even more. Go to the second mile. Second mile Christians is what Jesus is calling for. So, look at his third illustration. Verse 41. Whoever compels you to go one mile with him, go two. Now, this was uh, an example of Roman law where the Roman law said in Jesus' day that a soldier could by force 
command you to help him with the equipment to carry his, uh, his gear. And Jesus says, if he asked you to carry it a mile, you'd be doing your duty under the law, under the Roman law. That was what was required of you. But Jesus really, you're only doing half your duty. You know what you should do? Go to the second month. Take it the second month. Do we see any examples of this kind of stuff happening? Yes. Remember Simon of Cyrene? Jesus carrying his cross. He stumbles and what do they do? They take Simon of Cyrene and they force him to carry the cross. There's an example of that. So Jesus says if they ask you to go a mile, go two miles. Be a second mile Christian. Now we have the fourth example. Verse 42. Give to him that asks you and from him who wants to borrow from you, do not turn away. Give to him who asks you, and he who wants to borrow, do not turn away. Again, this is probably within the Christian community, among the followers of Jesus. And it's understood that these people have genuine needs. This is not some scam artist. So don't say, well, what if there's a person on the corner and has a big son? He's not talking about this. Some genuine needs within follower believers, within God's kingdom. Somebody asks you for something, help him out. That's all he's saying. You don't have to give him everything that he wants. You may need to have a house payment because he lost his job and you don't have it all. Or maybe you even do have it all. There is a body of Christ, isn't there? That's why we don't say... All of us take care of Sandy's kids and the families that need help, but we all bring one can. We can do things, but guess what? We all should be doing something to help. And if somebody asks you to borrow, to borrow something, do it, and don't require them to put up their tunic. Don't be a hypocrite. Don't require of them what you wouldn't want required of you. Do unto others as you'd have them do unto you. A little different than Ben Franklin's. There he isn't. Neither Linda nor I. Yeah. See, Jesus and Ben really were not quite on, on the same page, but uh, doesn't mean Ben was a bad guy. He operated according to the rules of the world. Jesus operated according to the rules of the kingdom. And we live in two spheres, don't we? We live in this world, but we're not of it. And we live in the kingdom. When we're with kingdom citizens, we operate on different principles. We should still be honest in the world, but we realize the world doesn't operate on our principles. And sometimes we have to sign oaths and we have to do all kinds of things and put up collateral. But in the church, that should not be. Okay, so that makes sense. So let's go to our next antithesis, our last antithesis, verse 43. You've heard that it was said... You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Now the first part, love your neighbors, also found in Leviticus and Deuteronomy. Uh, and that, that's a hard thing to love your neighbor. It means to be charitable. It means to be sacrificial. It means to you know, be kind and compassionate and show mercy and, and uh, overlook people's faults. But that second part... <clears throat> And hate your enemy. That's not in the Bible. They added that. <laughs> the Jews added that. 
Well, why? Because it's not easy to love your neighbor, and so to get around loving your neighbor and actually being generous and charitable, you know what they said? Well, who's my neighbor? Did you ever hear that before? Who's my neighbor? <coughs> and they go, that was my neighbor, that was my neighbor, that one, that's my enemy, I hate him. See, that's how you get around it. So there were a thousand ways of getting around the law. The law was, love your neighbor. They added sort of an exit clause, an exclusion clause, uh, an exception clause, rather, but hate your enemy. <clears throat> so, here's what Jesus said. That's how he solves that problem. Look at verse 44. I say unto you, love your enemy. Ah, now there's no exception rule. You can't get out of it. So what does that mean? You are to love everybody. The, uh, the question, who is my neighbor, becomes moot because you're to love what? Everyone. You're to love like God loves. God so loved what? The world. There are atheists out there. God loves the world. The story of the Good Samaritan. Who's my neighbor? Ah, oh, that's the hated Samaritan. I don't. Well, guess what? Love everybody. So that's what you have here. So love is to be hospitable. It's to be charitable. It's to be kind. It's to meet those needs that people have. Love your enemies, he says in verse 44. Bless those who curse you. Notice, and, well, according to the law of eye for an eye, if they curse you, you curse them back. But no, you bless those who curse you. You go to the second law. Do good to those who hate you. Yes, your enemies will hate you, but don't hate them back. Do good to them. Do good deeds. Pray for those who despitefully use you and persecute you. Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. That sounds like a praying for somebody who's persecuting you. Stephen did the same thing as he was being stoned. He says, Father, forgive them. In other words, don't do what the law requires. Go the extra month. So that's what we're talking about. Here. Why? Look at verse 45 that you may be the sons or the children of your Father in heaven. Here's the mark of what it means to be a child of God. That's it. What we just read. Being a second mile Christian is how God or how Jesus defines what it means to be a child of God. That's the mark of a person who calls God their father. In other words, God's character is reflected in your character. So that's what he says. And then look what he says there. That you may be the sons of your father in heaven because, here's the reason, here's the reason that you know that you're a child of God, that you reflect his character because he makes the son to rise on the evil, in verse 45, and on the good. He makes his sun to rise on the evil and the good. He makes his rain to fall on the just and the unjust. That's how God acts. Does he only take care of good people, nice people, his people? No, the sun shines on the good and the evil, and he makes the rain to fall on the good and evil. Notice, it doesn't say the rain and the sun shine and fall on good people. It says he makes it. You see that? He makes it happen. He takes the initiative. It's God's doing. And guess what? That's what we are to do. It doesn't just happen. 
and we need to make an effort to be kind to even those people who are considered enemies. And then he asks a couple rhetorical questions. Look at verse 46. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? And the answer is what? None. <laughs> so what you get a reward for that? Don't even the tax collectors do the same? Yeah, tax collectors like other tax collectors. You know, mafia figures, they like the people in the mafia. They might not like you, but they like their friends. So even the, even the worst people like people like themselves, why do you think that just being kind of your friends would be any get you a reward? It won't. Look at verse 47, another rhetorical question. And if you greet your brethren only, what do you do more than others? Not doing anything exceptional doing that. Don't even the Gentiles or the tax collectors do the same? Yes. Of course, everyone acts like that. So what would distinguish you from anybody else? What distinguishes you from anybody else is that you go the second mile. You go beyond what's required. You do what God does. You do. You live the way Jesus lived. See? You act more like God than you do a tax collector. So here's the bottom line. Therefore, you do these things, you shall be perfect just as your Father in heaven. If you do these things, you will be perfect just as your Father in heaven is perfect. I'm not talking about sinless perfection here. It's talking about being perfect in love. You will be acting like God acts. You'll be taking care of everybody's needs. You'll be not only treating people who like you, well, but you will be treating all people well. You will be demonstrating, like God, love without limits. That's what he calls us to do. So, we can do what the law demands. So good about that. That makes you about equal to an Old Testament Jew. That'd be like a half-mile Christian. Or you can do what love demands and be a second model Christian. And when you do that, you reflect the perfect love of God. That's what God calls us to do. And that's Jesus' sixth antithesis in the Sermon on the Mount. Next week, we pick up at chapter 6. And we will eventually get into the Lord's Prayer at that point. And Jesus' Sermon on the Mount goes through chapter 6 and chapter 7 before Jesus starts into his healing ministry. So we're still in his teaching ministry, and then he launches into his healing ministry. So let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you that it does convict. It shows us that amongst ourselves, when we think we're doing good, we're, we're, we're about one-mile Christians. Some of us are half-mile Christians. We're, we're really not doing much. No more than tax collectors or mafia figures do for their own kind. Help us, Lord, to realize that we're to reflect love without limits, therefore showing ourselves to be your children because we reflect your character. Oh, Lord, help us to go that extra mile. In Christ's name, amen.